listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Ushers are coming forward with some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to have that Bible with you to keep it handy as we will be uh, looking at it this morning, encourage you to be writing things down. In fact, there's going to be a few times I'm going to tell you to write things down. So have a pen handy. There's pens available. If you don't have a pen, there's connection cards. The top part of that card is, is not just for uh, recycling uh, later on this week. It is to take some notes and to jot things down. And so I encourage you to be doing that. And we're going to start this morning by reading from our text that was um, shared in our, at our offering time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is our text today, and I'd love to read this for you, and then we'll get into it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. As we bring this series on authentic living, on getting real, authentic living in a fake world, we're going to address today the subject of real generosity, about giving. And sadly, it's one of the topics that pastors often shy away from and almost apologize for preaching. And uh, it's, it's almost like when you announce it or you tell people this is what you're going to be preaching on today, it's like you've taken a swig of vinegar and, you know, kind of that, that face that you would make if you've ever taken a big swig of vinegar and, and it's just like, well, you know, and, and maybe it's just reflecting the look of the face of the people that when they hear, ah, oh, we're preaching on giving today. And, and, and it's just like, oh boy, here we go. Start the car. We shouldn't have come today. Told you this was a bad Sunday to come to church because I don't like that kind of thing. I'll, 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 I'll give in a lot of other areas, but you know what? My money is my money. And, and so we are going to take this topic head on today, but from a totally different angle than you might be expecting. Because we believe, however, that God wrote a book. Amen? Did he write this? This is God's word to us. And we believe that people are transformed. As we take his word, his holy, inspired, inerrant word, and as we read it, and as we not just know it, but we apply it in our lives, there's a blessing that comes with that. And his word changes us. It is the book of truth. It is the word of God. And the Bible offers 500 verses approximately, I haven't counted, but I've relied on others who have done so, 500 verses in regards to prayer. 500 verses on faith and more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus talked about was about the topic of money and our possessions. He taught more about money and possessions than he did teaching in the area of heaven and hell combined. So, The topic of money and our possessions must be very important. And so today we're going to preach about our money, about our generosity. And so some of you are probably just itching, just waiting, or not wanting me to necessarily say, and you may fall in two different caps here, when you say, you know what, so I'm sure he's going to tell us, you know what, that we are to tithe 10%. I'm sure he's going to say something along those lines. And yes, I am going to say that, and yes, we should. There we go. So now I've just kind of leveled out the playing field here, and so you kind of know where we're heading with this. 
Because in the Old Testament in Malachi, in the book of Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, we see tithing as a command, a duty of, a, a comp, of, uh, of just kind of a common occurrence, a regular practice for God's people. In the New Testament, people will now say, but we're under grace, that was the law, that was a command. But we see, a, we see tithing as a principle. We see it as not just, not a command, but more as a grace-motivated generosity. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, write that down, you can, you can check this out, because Jesus actually affirmed the tithe. In speaking to the Pharisees, he didn't discredit it. He said, and yes, you should tithe. But then he went on, but you're also neglecting other areas of your lives as well that he was going after them on. And so we see Jesus affirming it. And in reality, however, we may at times think, well, this tithing is, I mean, that's just radical. That's extreme obedience. Rather than that, though, however, it is just simple Entrance level Christianity 101. I remember a number of years ago when we were pastoring in Alberta, it was a small community, and, and hearing the rumors, some rumors in the community, it was a fairly tight-knit community, 3,000 people in the town, about 5,000 in the area, so there was a lot of talk. God was doing a lot of neat things in, in the lives of people, in the life of our church, but there was this rumor going around that if you go to that church, you're going to have to tithe 10%. Like, don't go there because if you do, you're going to just, they're going to be very upfront. You're going to tithe 10%. And so whenever I would hear that rumor or people would come to me and ask me if that's true or not, I'd say, oh no, that's not true at all. It's 20%. (laughs) And you should see the, what? You know, you kind of see the look and and they're almost like, get out of here. Let's run. You know, and then you're like, no, we'll do a little explanation here. Remember one time a, a new believer came up to me and said, what is this about teething? What's teething? And I'm like, well, that's when a kid gets a tooth. And they're like, no, teething. And, and I'm like, oh. Um, and, and then she changed, well, maybe it's tithing. And, and I'm like, oh, you mean tithing. And, and so, you know what, there is, and, and God's word gives us a lot of instruction about this. But sadly, sadly, there's also a lot of unbiblical, pocket-lining preachers abusing God's word on the subject of money. They manipulate and destroy God's word in order to build their own empires, to build their own kingdoms. And today I want to deal with not so much the how to give, there's a lot of instructions in God's word on that, but more of the why, the motivation for our generosity. And scripture is very clear. I mean, you can find very clearly throughout scripture on the how. One of the ways, I mean, some way, the ways that we are to give, we are to give prayerfully. We are to give joyfully, proportionately, regularly. We are to give of the first fruits, not the leftovers. That means the gross. God's word shows us very clearly in that. God's word has much to say on that. But what is most important in gospel giving, in, in gospel-centered giving, is the motivation. The motivation of the heart. It's, it's why we're doing it. And so oftentimes we don't know why. I remember as a kid growing up, my parents, when I'd get my allowance, my dad would say, now you remember, you give, you give a tithe, you take your tithe. And my dad would check, you know, we're heading to church. Did you bring your tithe this morning? Like, oh, I couldn't make change for a dollar, you know. And, you know, I, you know I'd taken 10 cents, you know, of that dollar that I got for allowance at one point. It was, I was going on strike hoping for more, you know. And 10 cents didn't seem very much, but that was five mojos. You know, that, that seemed like quite a bit. And, you know, that's back when you could 
could buy mojos for two cents. Now you probably don't even know some of you what a mojo is, but they're delicious candy, you know. And um, you know, and and even as I got older, it was just like, are you tithing? Are you tithing? And it's just like, oh. Never understanding the motivation of it. And so today I want to talk about the motivation, having the right heart when it comes to giving. In fact, God's word says that he loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. And, and you think, well, that's a little weird. No, it's not. When we understand the gospel, when we understand what we're going to talk about today, there's, there's a hilariousness, a cheerfulness that we have when it comes to giving to God. You see, so oftentimes we kind of like to have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. We kind of say, well, this is my home life. This is my church life. This is my personal life. This is what goes on in my head and no one else has access to that except when you're sleeping and maybe you're talking. You know, uh, you know there's your work life, finances, interest, hobbies, you know, and then there's my spiritual life over here. And so we have all these different compartments to our lives and so we act one way, we do something here, we, we say something this way that we won't say in another way and it's kind of like, it's like we're almost like bouncing these balls kind of thing. And, and, and so we have all of this. But you don't see that in God's word. This is not how we are to be living our lives according to God's word. As disciples of Jesus Christ, it's all one. Everything is all combined together as disciples. There's not to be a compartmentalization of our lives. Instead, it's all together. It's all interconnected. It's all unified. And we see this truth in God's word, just, just kind of go along with me here for a bit. You might even just want to even read uh, this week powerful truth in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 would be known as the resurrection chapter. It is the Easter chapter. It is about the resurrection of Christ, the implications for you and for me. It talks about our one day resurrection, there is such truth there. I mean, there's the great verse that in, in verse 24, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, it is so good. And then it goes, and thanks be to God and all of this. And then you go to chapter 16. and chapter 16, all of a sudden, it starts talking about giving. Now, remember that there were no chapter divisions that when Paul was writing, he wasn't like, you know, putting the Roman, Roman numeral 1-6, you know, and, and that he was writing a letter. It was all flowing. We've put in the chapter divisions. That, that's been added years later just to help us to maneuver through scriptures. But in, you see this powerful verse about the resurrection and about the power, the strength, the glory of all of that. And then it moves into tithing into or into into gospel motivated giving and some instructions on being generous givers it's all one there's rhythm it's flow it's all interconnected uh, all unified and so even now as we look at this passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just to give you a little uh, understanding as to this one verse that we're going to be concentrating on, Paul is giving just some really practical instructions to the Corinthian church in the area of generous giving. And as he's giving this very practical kind of uh, encouragement and reminding them about this, all of a sudden, boom, here in chapter 9, it changes and he gives one of the most profound, one of the most powerful doctrinal statements you will see in the word of God. And it's possibly one of the clearest and shortest and succinct 31 words it is 
about the gospel, about the grace of our God. In fact, this would, if you're going to memorize one verse after John 3.16, this would be a great verse for you to memorize because it is the gospel in 31 words. It is the grace of God declared to us so easily and perhaps if you've been in church for very long, you've heard this verse. You heard it repeated at our offering time here today. And so in chapter 8, Paul is speaking to a very affluent, very wealthy Corinthian church. It was also really, really messed up. And, uh, and so, but they were very affluent, and, and he was calling them to take an offering to come alongside and help out the Jerusalem church that was really struggling. And he, he's calling them to, to follow the example of the Macedonian church, in Philippi, and Thessalonica, these churches that were struggling were being super generous. And so he's giving them this example of the churches in Macedonia. And, and he's, he's talking about how they are these authentic, generous, hilarious givers. And we'll see that here starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These people were begging to give. They just couldn't write the check fast enough. They couldn't swipe the card soon enough to be able to help. And, and we see life wasn't easy for the Macedonian church. We see that some were involved in severe tests of affliction. Others were experiencing a season, an abundance of joy. And there's others who were in extreme poverty. But it didn't matter. Across the board, they were generous. And they gave over and above their means. They were begging to give. If, if it was the you know, at church service for the Macedonian church... And, and just excuse me, but I, I kind of think maybe this is how it went. You know how in our church when we say it's time to receive the offering and we're, mm, you know, just kind of like, okay, we're ready. And, and you know, just f finishing up what we might need to do if we're giving that day. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and it's very somber and very nice that when the guy got up to say, hey, it's time to take the offering. They're like, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is so exciting. This is the best part of the service. I get to help. They were begging to give it, just like, here, come on, we want to help you. Why are they like this? These are crazy people. There must be something in the water in Macedonia that they are drinking or something. For No, it's because they're understanding the gospel. They're understanding this powerful verse that we're going to be looking at here and focusing on here this morning. They weren't giving out a duty. It wasn't like, well, I guess I have to pay the bills. Pastor's kids need to eat. You know, that's why we give. No, it, 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 it wasn't because a tear-jerking story was being told or, or they weren't giving out a guilt or out of manipulation. It's just like, oh, you know what? The, the teller's counting the offering and to see how much I'm going to give, so I better make sure that I give because I've got to make sure because that person kind of talks a little bit and, and the news will get out that I'm not very generous and so I'm giving. That's, that's the wrong reason to give. Absolutely, but it happens, doesn't it, within churches? They gave generously, joyously, freely, from the heart. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9, the next verse, it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. The gospel giving just isn't a financial transaction. It's a giving from the overflow of our heart. Well, what are we overflowing with? 
And this morning, I just want to look at this verse, these 31 verses. And instead of giving you fancy points for you to hopefully remember it, we're just going to walk through these 31 verses, or or these 31 words. And so I encourage you to even be writing them down. We're going to do it in kind of a point form kind of a thing. But at the end of it, I trust that you will have it memorized by the end of the day. You will memorize it throughout the course of this week. And it, because it just doesn't pertain to financial giving, it is, pertains to the gospel and how that motivates us and how that causes us to give with such joy and with, um, with, with, with such worship to God. And so the first thing we see here in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's unmerited favor. It's God giving us something we don't deserve or something we don't qualify for. You know his grace? Do you know, have you received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you understand the depth, the glory of his grace? I remember when I bought a... um, got a ring for Charlotte when, when, when things were progressing in our relationship and, and there was a guy, a family in our church, an older couple who had a son who was a jeweler in Lethbridge, Alberta. We were in, in uh, central Alberta and he was able to get me this diamond ring that was uh, just beautiful, just amazing. I remember uh, getting, it, it was delivered to the church in just this little box and it was the most expensive thing that I had ever owned or bought and I didn't even get to keep it. Well, I kind of did, I guess, but you know, and, and I get the this diamond and it's just amazing to look at you know I'm holding it up and and then I take it to the jeweler in um oh, well, no I guess it was in Saskatoon and I take take it to the jeweler and he he lets me look under with his little you know eye just a little portable little eye thing he put like whoa and then he says hey let's let's look under the microscope and and uh and even then it was just oh, this is amazing no wonder it costs so much money you know and And this is the beauty and the glory of the grace of our God. Upon just looking at it, you just can't stop. You gotta keep looking at it. And as you keep looking at it, you just discover more awesomeness and more beauty. Do you know, are you growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is a diamond beyond any, any compare. Romans 5, verse 9 says that we are under God's wrath. I want to help you to get a little picture of the the beauty, the glory of the grace of our God. And Romans 5, 9 says we are under God's wrath. Romans 6, 20 says says that apart from his grace, we are slaves to sin. 1 Corinthians 6 says we are unfit for the kingdom. Ephesians 2, 1 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2, 3 reminds us that that by our sinful nature, we are automatically, we qualify to be under God's wrath. We were born under wrath. Even the cutest little babies that are born have a sinful nature they get from their father. And their mother, that they, I mean, I mean, we're born that way. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 reminds us that the grace of God cannot be earned, not by anything we do. Ephesians chapter 4 
uh, says that we were corrupt. Ephesians 5 says that we have been, we're living in darkness. Isaiah 53 reminds us that like sheep, we've all gone astray. And you say, Meldon, you're really kind of bearing down on us here. This is pretty heavy kind of thing. But folks, as long as there are just any hint of any lingering thoughts in our minds of entitlement or thinking, well, I'm not that bad, or we look over and we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person, and I'm better than that person. Any hint of that kind of comparison lets us know automatically as we're thinking that, that we don't fully understand God's grace. We're never going to fully understand it, but we still have a long ways to go in understanding it when we're living in that way. You see, when I accepted Christ as a child, I, I believe I was right around the age of five when I, my parents remember me giving my heart to Jesus Christ. I didn't understand full on what this meant. And now, many years later, I still don't fully understand what all this means, but I'm growing in it. And I'm being amazed by it. And as we've been singing these songs of worship about what Jesus has done, it leads you to realize he paid it all. All to him I owe. That is his grace. That is his mercy. That our salvation just isn't some little add-on in our lives, just a little box that you check, you know, it's all of our lives. It, it means everything to us. We go with the same attitude that the Apostle Paul had when he said, I am the chief of sinners. When we see ourselves in that light, we're starting to understand the grace and the glory of our God. Do you see how grace is so unmerited? There is nothing we can do to earn it. Do you know his grace in your life? Have you received that grace personally? Are you growing in that grace you never plateau when it comes to God's grace. If it is, that's dangerous. It's going deeper and deeper in the understanding and in the awe of our Lord. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us keep growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't tap out at some point. Say, I've got it. I've got it figured out. No. With a humble heart, we just want more. We desire to understand it in a greater and greater way. And so Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to give, but it's not arm-twisting, it's not a bunch of tear-jerking stories, no gimmicks that if you give this, it's seed money, and, and you'll receive this in return. He appeals to them to be generous, and the motivator for it all is God's amazing grace. Because of his mercy, because of what he has done, and it continues on, that though he was rich, you know, we are so corrupted by that word rich because the moment we hear the word rich, we start thinking about dollars and wealth and gold and diamonds or U.S. dollars or what that sports figure is making. I, I heard this week just some of the demands that some sports figures are making to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're saying, you're not getting any hometown special. And, and they're asking like for 20-some million dollars a season. And we think, wow, that's rich. That's a lot of money. You know, and they have no clue. We have no clue what riches really, truly are. We think of it in a monetary way. We think of, of riches when, when we hear the net worth of the Queen of England or Bill Gates, which is at about $78 billion, or, or Warren Buffett, which is at $72 billion. How do, I, I don't memorize these. I, I just checked it on Google and it, came up rather quickly because I'm sure a lot of people like to know these kind of things. There's no monetary system in heaven. There's no dollars. There's no banks. 
The riches of Christ are far different than a dollar value. I encourage you to write down these three words. They're three P words. I encourage you to write it because we're going to kind of nail it a couple times here and it won't be up on the screen, so you need to write it down. First of all, as we look at the riches of Jesus, he had a place. Jesus had a place. Write down the word place. He had glory and majesty in heaven throughout all eternity past. The Son lived with the Father. The angels that he created served him. It was Christ who in Isaiah chapter 6, when, this, when the angels are singing, holy, 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 it was being directed to him. He had a place in heaven, a pretty good place. He had a position in heaven. Write down the word position. Second member of the Trinity. But remember, this wasn't like God and then God Jr. This was being fully equal to God. And the other P word is he had power. It was Christ who through whom God used to create everything. He spoke and this world was created. I was just so blown away. Just, I mean, I'm still, I, I was looking this week at the, the pictures from when Charlotte and I were at the Grand Canyon. And, and, and it, you know, and, and, and I just kind of laughed and I even snapped some pictures of just the, the you know, the faith, the, the huge faith that people must have that believe in, in evolution and that it all just kind of evolved over uh, millions and millions of years. That takes so much more faith to believe in God who created this through Christ. And how, you know, as he's passing over, I mean, he's creating the universe and he's like, I'm just gonna create something here in the boringness of Arizona, which it is, and, and, and something that's just gonna blow people's minds for centuries. And he does that and, and he's, the, he's powerful. He's the creator, the sustainer, the king of kings. He spoke, and powerful things happen. But what does it say? Yet for your sakes he became poor. He had place, he had position, he had power, and he had absolutely no reason to come to this earth. Not at all. He didn't come to earth for his sake, he came to earth for our sake. That's why he came. Yet for your sake, he became poor. Came for your sake. For sake. For sake. For your sake. For sake. Now turn to somebody and point to them and say, he came for your sake. Now do it. Do it. Come on. Now that person pointed their finger at you, didn't they? Now you point your finger right back at them and say, he came for your sake. He came for your sake. You doing it? Yeah. Now turn behind you and, and really start pointing, especially at Norm. Norm, he came for your sake. He did. The king of kings. Thought about this the other day. The one whom the angels worshipped became a beggar. He didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve. You know, we all love the, the rags to riches stories, don't we? Again, just do a quick Google search, rags to riches, and you'll come up with the 10, 10 top rags to riches stories. And of course, they usually have to do with celeb celebrity kind of people who've made a name for themselves. You know that person who starts with nothing, has setbacks and difficulties and overcomes these different things and yet are determined and they wipe the dust off their feet and they keep going and they persevere and they make it big and 
You know, Steve Jobs was one of those guys, I mean, amazing story of what, you know, from where he went to, to where he, from a, a computer programmer at Atari that uh, had a drug issue and other kind of things, to Oprah, to Ralph Lauren, to Henry Ford, all starting with nothing, and can't include Donald Trump in that, because apparently he started with a, a loan of a million dollars from his father in order to get things going. But, you know, we see, we hear these stories of simple, humble beginnings, and and fighting through it and making a name for themselves. And, and, and movies are about this, books are about it, and there's documentaries, and, and there's something about us that we resonate. And we're like, oh, that's so cool, and we wipe the tears from our eyes and say, that's so amazing. And, and, and oftentimes, there's a little bit probably within us, well, maybe there's that story, that possibility in my life. I'll make it big. But the gospel is a riches to rags story. The king of the universe impoverished himself. He gave up, again, here we go, he gave up his place in heaven. He gave up his position and became a human, a carpenter's son. The angels were worshiping at his feet and he became a servant who would wash the feet of those who definitely weren't angels. Think about this. The poverty of what he came down to and, and he gave up his power. He gave up the independent control of his power. Now, again, back to our modern day society and we hear of the stories of a guy like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg who founded Facebook and so we have um, Bill Gates, the older guy, and Mark, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, which I think is like 10 years old and it, he's, this young kid is now worth um, $45 billion, and he and his wife have committed that they are going to give away 99% of their wealth. That's amazing. Bill Gates has already, I mean, given away billions of billions of dollars and continues to keep doing that. Mark Zuckerberg, the, the Facebook dude, I mean, 99% he's given away. I mean, but if you do the math... He's still going to have uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, no doubt, by the time. I don't know, and, and I don't know all the, the degrees of that. But still, 99%, that's, that's pretty good. That's very generous. That's wonderful. And, and we hear that and say, oh, we need more people like that. You know, that, that's awesome. You know, if that happened, we could solve a lot of, of the world's problems. That is no match. Never will even come close to what Christ did. Because he didn't go 99% of the way Christ went all the way. He emptied himself, Philippians 2 tells us, of everything. His place, his position, his power. His extreme poverty meant that he went to the lowest depths, taking upon the wrath of God upon himself, something that if we are in Christ, we will never have to worry about because he became poor. And finally, next thing we see here, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Hmm. You know what this last part has? And boy, it sure gets abused, but here we see the first prosperity gospel kind of teaching here in the Bible. I mean, how clear is that? That God wants you rich. Some churches teach that emphatically, that God wants you to be rich and that God rewards your faith with health and wealth. 
and a pretty easy life. And if it's not going so good, there must be some sin in your life. Must be something wrong. Give more. Or you're sick. You're not doing too well. Go hide somewhere. We don't want you around here. Doesn't really fit with our theology. Folks, God wants you rich. He wants you very rich. But true prosperity, the riches I'm talking about, has nothing to do with bank accounts, fancy cars, huge houses, and all the latest toys. His riches, his prosperity, is having Jesus. Having Jesus in greater and greater ways. Having his cross as our forgiveness makes you rich. Having his resurrection as our hope. The gospel as our wisdom. His church as our community. His cause as our purpose. We join him in spreading his wealth to others. You can have all the riches in the world. But on your deathbed, it will mean absolutely nothing. When you stand before God... And you think, well, look at all of this gold that I have accumulated in my life. And he looks at you and says, oh, paving stones. It's nothing. It means nothing. We are rich. What are those three Ps? What, it, what is God's riches all about? It's about Jesus having that place, having the position and the power. When we receive his grace, what do we get? Those riches. We get a place. We get a place secured for us in heaven. This past week, I've been visiting with a lady who um, has been in hospice care in Vernon and, and has been holding on for the last week and the decline is so very real. No matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter. But what she has is Jesus. And John 14 says Jesus is preparing a place for her. And probably today is the day that she will see him face to face. Her faith will become her sight and she will have a place in heaven. And until then, he gives a place to his children in his body in the beautiful body of Christ, the church. What we heard about last week, being precious stones built together. He's given us a place that's rich. We have a place. And in that place, we can serve and, and we can grow and we can be transformed from one degree of glory to the other through walking with brothers and sisters and in community and relationship and authenticity. We've been given a position Romans 8 says that we are heirs of God. Everything that he is giving to his son, he is giving to us as his heirs. 2 Corinthians 6 says we are sons and daughters. As we are singing today, what is it? Precious daughters, treasured sons. Maybe I reversed it. Well, it can be reversed because it can be treasured sons, precious daughters. It's all treasure and precious to him. We have position with him. I remember as a kid learning a song uh, by the Gaithers and I just heard it again because my sister found it on, on YouTube and, and I heard it and it goes, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, my father is rich in houses and land and I'm his heir. Now, of course, as a young kid, I'm thinking I'm, you know, like, whoa, millions are, you know, but no, I mean, 
There is the riches because I am his son. You women are treasured daughters if you have responded to his grace. And, and what, what's the last one? What's the last P? Power. Do, do we get that or is that just kind of for him? Like we'll, we'll take two out of the three, two-thirds, that's not bad. No. What does Acts 1.8 says? It says, you will receive power. The spirit of Jesus comes in you. You will receive power. And that power is the power of Christ working in and through us. Power to say no to temptation. Power and victory over sin. Power to keep us in Christ. Even at times when we are swaying, when we are walking away, there's power, his his saving power. Power to stand up for Christ in the midst of adversity, in in troubles. When we are being hounded and persecuted for our faith, there's power, there's words that his Holy Spirit gives to us to be able to speak, to endure hardships. There's power to suffer and to suffer well. This dear lady who's in Christ who has been passing this week and seeing the family and to see what God is doing all of this, there is power there. That room is different than other rooms that I've been in because she understands the grace and the power of God. Power to die well. Power to face suffering and hardships and relationship breakdowns and and employment issues and financial difficulties, whatever it is, there is a power that is available. That is the best rags to riches story when we understand the poverty that we have, but the riches that are available to us in Christ Jesus blow our mind. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you. I don't deserve it. And so what's our response to all of this? What's the response to this? Well, after all, this is a sermon on giving. And uh, it's a sermon on generosity. It hasn't sounded like it so far, has it? You say, well, I, I guess I should just start giving. I guess I just, um, yeah, I'm based on that, Meldon, and understanding the generosity of God. And, and No, you know what? Your response doesn't start with giving. Are you off the hook? No, not yet. It starts with receiving. Have you received this grace of our God? Please look at me right now. Just look me in the eye. I can't look at all of you in the eye. Have you received the grace of our God? The forgiveness of your sins? Do you have a sense and an understanding, a growing understanding of how completely unearned and unmerited your salvation is. There's nothing you can do. Have you received his grace in that way? Have you truly come to the place where you've turned from your sin and you've embraced Jesus Christ by faith for for the forgiveness of your sins? You can pray right now. You can pray right now admitting that you are a sinner that you have failed God. You've sinned. We've all sinned. Broken the law of God. Tell him that you believe in what Christ has done. That Christ came to this earth. 
and became poor and paid the penalty of our sin, of your sin, of my sin. And you can receive him as the substitute in your place for the wrath that you so deserve. Receive him as your Lord and your Savior. You can do that today. You can do that after the service. You can do it when we worship in just a couple of moments. You see, this sermon is ultimately not about your giving. It's not about your money. It's ultimately about your heart. And where our heart goes, so there goes our, our pocketbook. So goes how we spend our time. It's about our heart. Is Jesus the Savior and the Lord of your life? That Lord means master, rightful ruler, sovereign authority. Is this word the sovereign authority of your life? If it isn't, something else is. And if it's not in the word of God, you're, you're believing wrongly. You're not believing the truth of the word of God. God's word is truth. Many, many people will sadly spend eternity separated from God in hell because they had the information that we've shared here today, but they've never truly understand, have understood or received his grace. They just kind of thought it was just some little prayer. You quickly pray, and it's just like, oh, good, I'm in. It's the understanding of what Christ has done. Examine your life. encourage you to do that, whether you've been in church for, for 75 years 50 years, 30 years, or three months. It's receiving his grace daily into our lives. May his mercies be new every morning. And so we keep receiving. And so what is my response to the gospel? It's receiving. It's continually receiving the gospel and the grace of our God. But then, next of all, here it comes. You give. You give. And you say, oh, how much? How much? What's the bottom line? Well, I've already mentioned the 10% part, but I'm even going to go beyond that. I'm going to tell you folks, you give it all. You give him everything. You surrender it all and say, God, it's yours. I remember as a young kid, profound impact in my life. I know my dad gathered us all together and said at dinner tonight, when we're eating together, when we're done, I want you to all to bring your most valuable toy, your most, the thing that you treasure the most. And I brought my digital derby. There was nothing digital about it, but it was a little racing game that was so cool. And, and, and my sister brought one of her dolls, and I can't remember what the others brought, but I noticed because I was looking at the table at what was on in front of my parents, and there was the keys to the vehicles. There was the keys for the house. There was the keys for the farmhouse and the farm sheds and the equipment, and there was this envelope on there, and it was the property title for our house. And my dad said, put it all on the table. And he says, kids, it's all his. We're giving it all to God. He owns it all. We are going to be managers of it. So manage what he has given you well. Be managers of it. And so we surrender it all to him and say, God, it's yours. It's yours. We sing that song, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We give it all to him. The truth is our financial records and our giving and how we give to the Lord's work, they'll be an indicator in many ways about how we truly feel about him, what we really feel about and understand about his grace in our lives. 
and either we're saying one or two things. Either we're saying me first, I'm more important, my needs are greater, and I'll take for myself first and I'll give whatever is left over, or we say, Christ, you are first, and we give him the first, and we give him the best, the before taxes, and we live on whatever is left over. And as I said earlier, 10% is, is a wonderful starting point. That's between you and the Lord. It is grace-motivated giving. And then thirdly, excel. What's my response? Receive, give, surrender it all, and then excel. Continue to grow in this area. Paul was telling the Corinthian church in, in chapter eight here, he said in verse seven, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. And so he, he's talking here, you folks are excelling really well in faith. You're, you're learning a lot. You have some really good classes going on there. Your knowledge has become better. Your speech, you're cleaning it up. You're not talking as bad as you used to talk. And, you know, I mean, all of this is going on. And, and there's an earnestness. There's a passion to serve and all that. But he says, see that you also excel in this act of grace. Notice he didn't call it an act of giving. This is an act of grace. He says, sell in everything. Keep growing. Continue to be challenged in this area. He's saying, you're excelling. You're doing well, but you're missing out on the grace of giving, the grace of generosity. You say, well, I serve him. I, I serve faithfully with my time. I tithe my time. I give over and above my time in that way. And, and, and he says, excel in all of these areas. And the rewards are literally out of this world. Years ago, I had the joy of watching a family that was in our church learn this lesson on giving. He had just started his own business, a trucking company, and, and it was kind of his dream to do this. And, and it was kind of slow and hard going, getting kind of finding his, his part in central Alberta where, where it would all kind of work together and, and uh, build up this business. But then there was a really bad year. There was a bad drought. And there was no crops that year, virtually no crops. It was just horrible. It was terrible. And it left them in serious financial ruin. And he had these had equipment and he had all of this. He had um, fina all kinds of financial commitments and all of a sudden they realized they were in big time trouble. And they started calling out to God and just saying, God, what do we do? God, where are you? What is our plan? What should we do? And some friends came along and, and helped them out a little bit just to encourage them and to, to see them through another month. And, and then as they were talking and praying as a couple one day, the Lord just really convicted them and they said, we're not giving our first fruits. We're not giving of the increase. We're, we're giving God kind of what's left over at the end of the month, and he didn't even have a salary for himself. So really, how could you even tithe off something when you don't even have a salary, so you really don't have to give that much? And, and, and all of a sudden they said, by faith and by God's grace and for his glory, we are gonna tithe off of the top. Any expense or any income that comes from this truck before any fuel, before any insurance, before any payment, before anything happens, it's going to the Lord. We're giving a tithe. We're giving that 10% to the Lord. And he says those first few checks were hard to write and very, very difficult. And slowly, little by little, they crawled out of the debt load. You see, this wasn't a financial move that they did. This was a God-honoring move. This was a heart issue. Are they rich today? Loaded. They are so rich 
financially, well, I think they're getting by. It's month to month. It's still work. But they are so rich in the mercies of God, in the faithfulness that they have experienced in their lives. There is a richness and a beauty to their lives that people are attracted to them. They're, they're in a small group that just continues to keep growing. More and more people just want to come because there's something. It's not all the wisdom, it, it, but there is this heart, this love for the Lord. There is a richness about them that, that is beautiful, that was impactful in my life and continues to be to this day. Financially, yeah, they're, they're okay. They're living okay, but still have, still trucking. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, we rejoice even here right now over your goodness, over your blessing, over the way that you have blessed us in such incredible ways in our lives. You have given to us blessing upon blessing here in this nation, here in this province, here in this community, here as a church. We thank you for that, but we repent that oftentimes our motivation and our desire to give back to you it isn't there. And I pray that we would grow, we would excel in all of these areas of your grace and today specifically in generosity. I thank you for the generosity that is here in this church. And God, this is a hard issue that you desire to work on each one of us in. I pray that we would be cheerful, hilarious givers. And we just can't wait because we, again, Sunday after Sunday, are reminded of your grace, of your love, of your mercy towards us. And out of the overflow, out of the joy in our heart that that creates, we would be the most generous people within this church, within this community, in our nation. In our time, we would be generous and in all areas, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the example of giving it all. And now, because of that, we can receive it all from you. Power. Holy Spirit living in us. Position sons and daughters of the Most High God in a place, a place in the body of Christ and then one day in heaven when we see you face to face. What a glory. What a glory.